Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. Outside of New Year's resolutions, the most frequent or common conversation about the new you comes via commercials. They're all over the place trying to promote this, that, to change you uh, into who you want to be. And as much as I have no problem with that, it's up to you. Be what you want to be. Uh, it does seem like we live in a time when the possibilities could be considered nearly infinite. And with that then, all sorts of ways to get there. But I suspect that probably core and central to any transformational process of change is going to be negotiating it with you. You have to figure out what you want to be. You have to figure out how you want to change. You have to make the determination of which direction or new direction to take in life. I can help, <laughs> that's what I'm here for, whether it's in podcast or clinical practice. Um, most of my life is spent assisting people in making modifications and changes, adaptation. Now, being a new you could be pretty radical, as in one day you're this way and then tomorrow you try to be completely different and you can try to rush that along a bit. <laughs> You can sort of manipulate whatever it is that's available to manipulate. And again, that seems limitless. You can change your situations and circumstances. You change your friend network. You change your occupation. You can go back to school and get another degree. You can even nowadays change your body. <laughs> There's all, sort of, all sorts of trans, transformations um, that can be medically performed. Uh, with the assist of uh, certainly biochemistry and medicine and also surgical procedures, you can be an entirely different gender if you want to in today's world. But it still has to be negotiated with you. And though that is a somewhat radical and abrupt, it's up to you. If you want to do that overnight, just realize that sometimes the better is not to do it so rapidly, so quickly, and with that, sometimes the better includes a certain amount of development, a progressive aspect to it. Uh, and at least for me, if I was going to go to that extreme, if it were to be a permanent change, um, Botox, <laughs> plastic surgery. Uh, if it's going to be that kind of, that can't be reversed, radical change that you can't reverse, I'd probably be inclined to take it a little more slowly. And I'd make sure that whatever negotiations I had with myself were practical, pragmatic, um, solid. <gasps> what else can I say? Psychology Today. And we are still in the June of 2022 edition. George S. Everly, Jr., Ph.D., faculty of John Hopkins University, submitted an article that was published entitled, Creating a New You. 
subtitled, A Vision of Something Better Underlies the Transformation from Victim to Survivor. Bad things sometimes happen to people through no fault of their own. Then what? As Yogi Berra famously said, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. There tend to be three types of reaction to adversity. Some people get stuck, paralyzed psychologically. Others act in desperation, seizing on an opportunity to feel safe, although their desperate acts can lead to further problems and victimization. And some people manage to grow in the wake of adversity and trauma, building new lives. Which path the person winds up on is not a matter of luck. Whatever hand you've been dealt, you have a responsibility to make a choice. Move on or wait to be rescued. Believing that your past predicts your future can keep you stuck in it. Not even trying for better things ahead. But research reveals that the past is actually a very poor predictor of the future. There are four concrete steps for creating a new you and a new future. It starts with a belief. As one survivor of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse told me, finding a way to imagine a better life for one step, oneself, is the first step in making it happen. Believe you are destined for something better. Without a vision for the future, there can be no desire for it. Admittedly, having a vision takes courage. We try to protect ourselves against the disappointment of failure. Start with a belief and don't be shy about expressing it. I'm destined for something better. Next, harness the power of belief by converting it into action. Self-fulfilling prophecy bridges the gap between belief and action. A prediction, whether in thoughts or words, directly or indirectly, causes itself to become true. If you can't realize your vision, you wind up talking yourself out of the desire. How does expectation become action? If you think you will fail at something, you're likely to attempt the task with minimal effort, enthusiasm, and tenacity. You're more willing to accept initial rejection or failure. Or worse, you're likely to not attempt to be successful at all. But if you think you will succeed at something, you are likely to attempt the task with effort, enthusiasm, and tenacity. You're less willing to accept initial rejection or failure, more likely to see setbacks as a precursor or as precursors to the inevitable success. Tenacity helps you reframe setbacks as opportunities to get stronger. Believing is not enough. You must also act on your belief. Once you choose to act, act tenaciously. Language is the formative organ of thought. Wilhelm von Humboldt declared. Thought usually precedes actions or action. Change your language from that of loss to that of growth. Eliminate I can't and yes but from your vocabulary. The language of equivocation leads to hesitancy and insecurity. The language of assertiveness to extraordinary effort. When you find yourself using the words or thoughts of negativity, stop and find more constructive words. You may stumble, you may fall, but keep moving. 
Taking the first step, even a small one, overcomes inertia. That essentially eliminates the most difficult of hurdles. Finally, remember that the single best predictor of resilience and growth is a connection to others. Recruit help moving forward. Relentlessly seek someone who has your back and will pick you up whenever you fall. Mentors and coaches help people believe in themselves and supply information that can support your transformation from victim to survivor. Observe those who possess the qualities you wish to, wish to possess. Learn from them. Seek their guidance. See successful others not through the lens of jealousy, but as models. If they can do it, so can I. If you want to change your life, you must begin with the belief and harness the power of prophecy. But never forget the purpose of prophecy is not to predict the future, it's to create the future. And again, this is written by George S. Efferly, Jr., Ph.D., entitled, Creating a New You, a Vision of Something Better, Underlies the Transformation from Victim to Survivor, Psychology Today, June of 2022. Now I know <laughs> that you pretty much don't have much to say about what you're born with. And I know that there are certainly limitations that are implicit in that in some physical material dimension. And I know that as you discover your limitations, there are going to be plenty of other people along the way who are going to suggest to you where you're coming up short, what you can do, what you can't do. Some of that is entirely objective. Well, maybe not entirely. For the most part, objective. But, as much with for the most part, it still comes from another flawed and failed human being when it comes to objectivity. They're going to speak it from their subjective personal viewpoint. Nobody is entirely objective. Probably that's why there's much to be said for a multitude of counsel. <laughs> Seek input from a multitude of others. And that includes yourself. Don't singularly decide for yourself or only receive the input of those who agree with you or whatever premise that you may be operating off of or kicking around, so to speak, in your mind at any particular time. Get divergent views. <laughs> Get input from others. Because the stuff of which you're given, <laughs> that you're bored with, you can, as I started out in today's podcast, speaking to enough, you can pretty much change almost anything these days, but do you really want to? And if you really want to, which is again entirely your prerogative, just be sure because some of those things you might go about changing, really in the end you may want to change them back and some of them are irreversible. There's certainly opportunity and fortune, luck in much of life, randomness and you know, sometimes there's perfect opportunities and sometimes not. If opportunities are missed, it doesn't mean there won't be another one or you can't be creative with whatever else might come up in the future. But indeed, there's going to be an element of regret that you missed 
the timing, the opportunity. And since you can't go back and whatever you've missed by consequence of the decision, you can't necessarily correct or fix. You can't script it for sure. You just have to deal with it and accept. Well, it didn't turn out quite the way I wanted it to. But once again, I think that's the whole point of the article. When things happen, whether it's something that's been given you or you had nothing to say about it or whether it's something you choose to do, you have plenty of options. You can make changes. You can correct. You can adjust. You can adapt. Just make certain that whatever the basis is that you're making the choice is a solid one, an objective one. Now, I try to be. That's my job. Uh, I attempt to be, and the best that I know, a scientist. I use the empirical model. I was taught it in school, and I've adopted it as a paradigm, not only for my clinical practice, but for my life. Uh, It's the highest order, in my opinion, of common sense. I'm not saying that it's so common that you don't have to refine it a bit or it's so perfect in its commonness that you don't have to refine it a bit. But I do think with that idea of making it a bit better or at least a bit more intentioned, there's a lot of decisions that turn out better for you overall cumulatively in the long run if you understand the basic premises of the scientific methodology. Empiricism, collect data, and then cognitively process it. The senses, sensation, is data input, is at least the mode or the means to data input, and then cognitive operations, thoughts, are the way we process it. And then getting back to scientific methodology, the hypothetico-deductive model of reasoning, the research model, you offer up a hypothesis, You test it, you look at it objectively, you receive the feedback, and then you modify. The feedback can change too because situations, circumstances do change. And again, if you should miss a piece of data, if you can't take it in, if you can't see everything, if you can't study everything, or if you've only been able to study so much, or you only have access to so much knowledge or information, even as with the article suggesting you seek out people who are experts in it, and as I said, making sure that you don't just look for, that's the problem, if you establish a prophecy, if you are looking to predict the future, which is really what the scientific methodology is about. Be valid in your findings, and then if they're valid and they're replicable, then you can begin to predict the future based on them. But take in all the data. Take in all the perspectives. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's the sole purveyor of reality or truth. And again, it's a bit fluid. And so you have to constantly be modifying. But if you're only looking for something, one thing, or if you have a bias going into it and then you surround yourself with data that comes from other people who agree with your bias, that makes them biased and prejudiced as well. And then that's the problem. You're going to get what you thought you'd get 
And if you shouldn't, you're going to reject all the feedback that suggests that maybe you're not so objective. Maybe you're not doing this the right way in terms of analysis, coming to the right conclusions or decisions about what to do. You're going to reject it and then you're going to find that you're going to experience more and more difficulty or maybe the same difficulty because you're not learning. You're not growing. You're not adding to the paradigm either of research and how to do that well so you can become as elegant, <laughs> as efficacious. It becomes the way you process all with integrity, all experiences in life, or even with the outcomes. I should get this. I should feel better, <laughs> psychologically speaking. I shouldn't have so much struggle. I shouldn't be constantly wanting to change myself. I shouldn't have constant low self-esteem. I shouldn't feel awful about this relationship. Why do I find myself getting into the same types of negative relationships? Why do I end up in the same types of jobs? Why do I always have, and you, the list could go on and on and on. And for me, those are the type of things most people come in desiring to change. I want to get better at relationships. I want to like myself better. I don't want to feel depressed. I don't want to feel down. I don't want to feel sad. <laughs> I don't want to be anxious. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to self-actualize. I want to take care of all my basic physical needs so I can direct all my energy toward the highest order, self-actualization of needs. I want to assume positive intention in life. I don't want to be a pessimist. I don't want to construct either my identity or what I expect to find, again prophetically, predictably about the future in such negative terms. I've always been hurt. I've always been let down. I've always been abused. Nobody's ever liked me. Nobody's ever really validated me. I've never felt like I was validated that anybody really got me. And so I need to change myself in hopes of finding that right combo. It's going to fail. <laughs> because if you do that without truly doing a solid analysis, and I'm not sure you can do that without a truly solid, objective source for input. And again, I'm okay with multitude of counsel. It doesn't have to be singular source. But they have to at least be intentioned to get to objectivity and to be as realistic in their terms of their expectations as they possibly can be or they're not going to help you. It's just going to cause more confusion and you're going to end up, I believe, <laughs> it's with prediction, for repeating the same mistakes. Don't! You can change just about anything. This is the easiest to change. But if you change this, then whatever other things you decide to change more externally, more materialistically, they're probably going to be more in line with who you are, what you're about, what you want your life to be about. And most people, when it comes to processing, there's basically two operational systems. There's going to be the reactive, and then there's going to be the intention. And most people who are so caught up in the subjective, or they've never really gotten to the point of sufficient intention to be able to not only sort it all out, 
but to make such decisions about changes in their life to get, again, predictably so, better outcomes. The reason they don't get to that, where they use their brain power, all this hypothetical deductive reasoning, the research model, the scientific model, is that they're caught up in their emotions. They're reactive. That emotional thinking. Those emotions have to be managed. They have to be, again, disengaged, or at least that system has to be, in right proportion, lessened. Lest you're not going to get to a place of sufficient calm <laughs> to think it through. You don't think best when you're all emotional. You don't think best when you're in a fight-or-flight mode. You think best when you're out of danger, when the threat, at least for the moment, has been mitigated, and you've got a moment of some safety and security to think it through. But you can also continue, even so the circumstance situation may say the, the whole scenario may have changed sufficient that that threat is no longer there. But you may be triggering it out of half-cooked thoughts or thoughts that are only, again, emotionally charged or so emotionally charged that they've not really been analyzed for their factuality, whether the paradigm is a solid one. Once you get hurt, once you get victimized, once that repeats, even if the situation changes, if it becomes part of your identity, you bring that with you and then you re-traumatize yourself. You re-expose yourself. It stirs up the emotions. You trigger them. The threat may now be more, as it is said or could be said, inside of you than it is in terms of some sort of external <laughs> person, place, thing. So when an individual comes to see me, <laughs> what do I have to do with it? That's what I want to help. That's why I want to help. That's what I want to do to help is to help you turn off at least initially those emotions. You can do that through medicine, which I am not a prescriber of medications. But there are psychiatrists, medical doctors, who can prescribe medications. But as much as medications may or may not be indicated, needed, recommended, I can help you to step back for a minute and challenge you to take a deep breath, to sort of reorient to relax for a moment. It's safe here. It's calm here. Let's turn some of those emotions, not off completely, because you need that. That's the energy for that, as the article kind of presents it, extra drive to get things done, to not quit along the way. There needs to be some tenacity, again, as the article puts it, enthusiasm. And emotions can do that, should do that. Probably would be the only place from an inside sort of way of identifying it, describing it, that you're going to find some internal, inside motive. And I think it should be more you than external. We could try to make you do something and manipulate your emotions. But then again, if that doesn't really match up with what you want, then you're going to feel controlled. You're going to 
kind of rebel a bit. You're not going to be as ready. You're not going to be as, again, with belief, as confident, assured. This is the direction you want to take. But if we can lessen the emotional reactions and then engage or count on the natural inclination to then, with those emotions shut down, to be able to engage in more higher order thoughts along the lines of not only basic survival or physical needs being met, fight or flight, threat, but those that are intentioned toward or directed toward those ideas of self-actualization and cognition thoughts with some degree of choice, uh, agency, liberty, to choose to take a new course, a new path that leads to the new you, (laughs) whatever it is that you may want that to be, then that's what we want to do. We want to engage it. We don't want to entirely shut off emotions, but there needs to be a right, again, ratio, proportion. (laughs) Maybe it's 40-60 emotions to intention, but... I'm all about not being so emotionally reactive. And the only way I know to do that is to be with that intention with, again, a plan in mind. The article addresses this as well. There needs to be a plan. There needs to be a strategy. If it's, again, solidly founded upon good intellectual operations, whether you say common sense or you add to it then the refinement of scientific methodology, the hypothetical deductive model of reasoning, pose a hypothesis, go out and test it, trial, <laughs> do your own experiments. But when you make modifications and changes, be open to the feedback. <laughs> and then take it and make modifications. It'll always be somewhat of a hypothesis because there will always be, again, some degree of differing feedback. But for the most part, you can notch some of this stuff. And then hypothesis turns to theory, and theory turns to paradigm, and paradigm turns to a mode of operation. And again, there's two basic levels even to that. There is the way that you get there, doing all that we've spoken of in the podcast, actually adapting, uh, adjusting to, I was going to say reacting and with intention, then planning future. And then there's all that goes into new and novel experiences that you're going to encounter along the way, which is all part of creativity as well. And has to be factored in. (laughs) Because we're not living in a sterile, sort of static environment. It's very dynamic. Not only are there a lot of, I guess, inanimate, non-person sort of influences, (laughs) but they are quite animated. There are all kinds of things that can happen to you, and then there's all kinds of things that happen to you as regards to or as pertaining to the people that share your world with you. It's constantly evolving, that process of adapting, It'll always be there. But we want to get good at that. And that's part of what happens too. Not only do I assist you in decision making, problem solving, coming up with 
choices, brainstorming, and, and then trying to frame it, help you construct a plan of action and frame it as positively as possible, but realistically as possible, so we don't get down the road and say, well, I guess, unfortunately, we were a bit too optimistic. We want to keep it realistic, not pessimistic. You're not a failure. There are mistakes, there are things that happen that fail, but it doesn't make you a failure. We want to learn from them. So the article really is speaking to ideas that not only do we go through, or ideas, concepts, not only do we experience, we go through in actual vivo in the counseling setting, psychological counseling setting, but if you learn them, if it helps you in terms of making some modifications to your base way of dealing with life and life circumstances, your base paradigm of who you are and the probability, possibility of finding success, which is contentment, being satisfied, which is, again, going back to the beginning of the podcast, all of those things I spoke to really comes back to malcontent, discontent. Now, there's some of that that just goes with life because there's ups and there's downs as I've been trying to speak to them. But in a real basic sort of way, everything changes and it's all built upon or constructed upon a premise of pluses and minuses, surplus and deficits. And if it's tied to survival and what you need, which is the highest measure of adaptability, I believe, then when you start to get a little low on something you need, then it's going to trigger you. <laughs> and maybe that is the whole reactive dimension. Oh, I need something here. It's going to have that threat. But it doesn't mean, though, it's triggering you as predicting your failure. What it means is it's telling you, okay, it's time to attend to this. But contentment comes with satiation, but satiation doesn't last. That's my point. <laughs> to be satisfied in a material sort of way is a moment-by-moment -moment measure across multiple domains that are really makes it, that really makes it, that are really hard to in some sort of way attain simultaneously, but it makes it real difficult to be content materially for very long at any particular moment. But what I am saying though is if you understand the notion of how to make those adjustments and you understand that contentment comes not from outside sources, natural environment, social environment, other people's input, situations that are beyond your control, scenarios that you didn't sign up for, much like again, as we started the podcast, you're born with what you're born with. You didn't ask for it, but once you get it, you have to figure out what you're going to do with it. And therein, it becomes your project. <laughs> and, and more or less, as we've been saying, you can change those things as much resources there and you want to. But that level of satisfaction, the only thing that I can offer you is the intention and the plan and the narrative. This is what my life is about. This is who I am. 
this is what I want to achieve. Again, all of that is also subject to some modification. But it's the most stable thing you got in an incredibly dynamic and ever-changing material existence. Just be solid in knowing at core who you are. And then at core, if you have anything that is really immutable, let it be the skill set. Let it be a confidence, self-esteem, an identity constructed upon empiricism, scientific methodology. Let it be built upon common sense. Because you don't want to change that. That's the most adaptive tool that I could give you. And I don't give you that. I think we're all born with an element of both. But we have to turn off the emotions. We have to disengage that emotional reactive thinking. We have to undo the faulty failure identity, the mechanism of failure identity, that you acquire it. And sometimes, again, this is acquired when you're a child. Most of this, I think, as with personality, because most of your personality is formed before you become officially an adult, it needs to be tested because you're a child. And why? Because the brain power isn't there. And why? Because the input, as we've already said, is going to come from flawed and failed human beings. Hopefully they're going to do the best they can. Hopefully there'll be a multitude of counsel. Hopefully it won't just be one or two that you're left to rely upon. Hopefully nobody will try to dominate and control you in such a way that they uh, deny you access to, to knowledge. That's why you go to school. But be careful because schools, unfortunately, in today's world, are at times, though this is the most hypocritical thing I could possibly speak to, they're really not always scientific. At least the instructors aren't. The institutions themselves can't be held accountable to that. They're just a place that all these people come to. But there's a lot of individual that, individuals that teach in schools, whether it's primary, secondary, or higher education that are just as messed up <laughs> as you are, or maybe worse. And in the same sort of way, there may be psychological counselors, behavioral health professionals. But if they don't lead with what I'm trying to establish as foundational and core to any great success, no matter what it is that you choose to do with your life, no matter how it is that you want to change who you are, if the decision-making, if the problem-solving is not built upon the research model, the hypothetical deductive model of reasoning, if it's not constructed of, again, this common sense dimension, or if you can tell that it's much too emotionally driven, <laughs> or the person is not willing to entertain divergent thought in testing the theories, or if they offer up prejudicial or biased information themselves, as with controlling, eliminating access to divergent thoughts, you may want to just at least be a bit suspect. And so too with the psychological counseling. 
if we're not leading with this, you're in trouble. We're, we're not really, we may help a bit, but we're really not offering you the highest order of thought. The highest order of processing. The right proportion of emotion to cognition. The right proportion of reaction to intention. And therein, you can want to make yourself something, <laughs> but in the end, it may not work any better than what you got because it just isn't built upon science. It's not built upon reality. It's not factually established, which doesn't mean you can't choose to chase it down. But some things aren't reversible. <laughs> Once you do that, it may cost you more. Or there's always the additional expense. If it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, if it didn't help you to find contentment, if it didn't help you to find the loving relationships that you're seeking, if it didn't help you to get out of a, not only personally, with failure identity, an abusive internally so, you doing it to yourself, abusive cycle or cycle of abuse, or worse yet, you and then somebody else, you're in these this pattern of repeated, negative, controlling, pessimistic, abusive relationships, emotionally, physically, sexually, then to change that, you've got to make an internal change. You've got to say, wait a minute, maybe I'm not doing my part to make sure that I'm recognizing the signs. Or maybe I'm continuing to try to chase after things simply because I think they're going to make me better. And then even that's a distortion because what's that based on? Once again, maybe it's just a childhood experience. Maybe it's all those people that in your childhood put you down, bullied you. I think you get the picture. So when you come see someone such as myself, they need to lead. They need to demonstrate. You should ask. They should construct the plan. They should make the diagnosis, offer the hypothesis of how to fix it on fact, on knowledge, on science, or you shouldn't go back. But <laughs> I would like to invite you back to our next podcast because my greatest intention would be to do that very thing because I don't want to be a hypocrite. <laughs> I want to practice integrity. And I do believe Psychology Today, the June 2022 edition, as well as others, and particularly the article written by George S. Everly, Jr., Ph.D., Creating a New You, A Vision of Something Better Underlies the Transformation from Victim to Victor, a Victim to Survivor, is true. Just make sure that whatever it is that you choose to do, is solid, scientifically based, realistic. And that's why I do the podcasts, <laughs> to get you to come back if you're interested in science and empirical thought, scientific methodology, facts, not just opinions. And even so, as I read the article, that's the intention of the format of the podcast. Uh, that's George's, if you might give me the liberty to call him George, George's perspective. But we need to be good consumers of even scientific journals 
of Psychology Today. The articles, just because it's published or it's online, does not necessarily mean it's true. Be a good purveyor. Constantly be diligent in your assessment of what opinions you're taking in. Test them for yourself. And it should stand up. If it doesn't, then keep testing it. Or maybe at some point you say, ah, this is really not true. It's an opinion I can respect. Maybe even the intention of he who or she who or they who offer the opinion is a good one. But if it doesn't stand up to science, you probably shouldn't base life decisions upon it, particularly big life decisions upon it. So with that thought in mind, of course, I want to invite you back to the next edition of Word with Dave Clay. And until then, I want to wish you both good health as well as good mental health.